0: This episode is supported by TeamDrive, the enterprise and personal file synchronization and sharing solution that is secure and protects your privacy. To learn more, visit teamdrive.com or if you are from US, visit synqion.com. S-Y-N-Q-I-O-N.com. You will get 15% discount on the first year subscription if you use coupon code GADA15, 15 this episode is supported by Tutanota, the secure Gmail replacement. I use Tutanota because it respects my privacy and keeps my data secure. As Tutanota, the team asked me to keep this ad short. So let's start with the real thing. To know more, visit tutanota.com. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to Data Science at Home podcast, where we talk about technology, machine learning, and algorithms. Today's episode will be about collective intelligence, wisdom, and of course, artificial intelligence. I'm having a conversation with Johannes Kastner, CEO and founder of CollectiveWide, also finishing his PhD in Sustainable Development from Columbia University in New York City, and we're going to talk about intelligence and wisdom, so stay with us.
1: This is Data Science at Home the podcast that makes machine learning and artificial intelligence easy for everyone. Here's your host, Francesco Galaleta.
0: Hi, Ioannis. How are you doing? First thing, quite well. Thank you. And you? I'm really good and really looking forward to our conversation. I think that AI and collective intelligence are not only hot topics nowadays, but really trigger the curiosity of many of our listeners. So, Tell us a, a little bit where you come from and uh, what brought you to this point.
1: Well,
2: when I was 19, I went to the U.S. from Vienna, Austria, because I had no high school degree. At that time in Austria, that meant that I had practically no chances for serious success or meaningful work. So I went to the U.S. and search of the old American opportunity and freedom and to sing in a rock and roll band. After a few years of working odd jobs, getting small roles in movies, shows and playing in a band, I went to Santa Monica College and enrolled in courses. Anyone over 18 can study there. it's wonderful. After that, I transferred to Columbia University in New York City and finished my bachelor's in economics and uh, cultural anthropology. After graduating, I turned down a job at Lehman Brothers in securities and tra- uh, Instead, I opted for a job as a research assistant at the Boston Federal Reserve Bank. While I worked there, during the financial crisis, which was inflicted on the world by a few greedy narcissists, I was able to take some courses at Harvard, among them one with philosopher and economist Demartia Sen, who became my most important mem- mentor, and whose ideas changed the way that I view the world. I then went back to Columbia for my PhD in sustainable development. There I reached some clarity, and I realized that all of humanity's problems were really special cases of one overarching problem, failures of collective intelligence. I then studied the prevailing methods for understanding intelligence itself in the social sciences, and even in less known fields such as evolutionary psychology. I found them all wanting.
0: This is a really interesting uh, uh, view and and, uh, uh, overview of your life so far. Uh, now, what were these models about?
2: Well, they were essentially toy models of intelligence. But, uh, you know, prediction markets and other ways of aggregating beliefs, which were also developed in economics, of many humans' beliefs, seem to hold a promise. The diverse crowd often performs better than the experts. And the condition for this outperformance seems to be replicable. Yet predictions aren't enough for decision-making, obviously. So my research continued into what intelligence really is and how we can achieve collective intelligence. This led me to the search for the answers in research related to artificial intelligence.
0: Wow. Uh, Can you give us your definition of intelligence and wisdom?
2: Yes. General intelligence can be seen as the ability to achieve complex goals in complex environments, according to Ben Gertzl. I would add that these environments can also be dynamic and ever-changing. And Gertzel's work, unlike toy models in the social sciences, certainly accommodates that. And Gertzel, who's the architect of uh, Koch Prime, has to my mind has the most fruitful recognition about intelligence. He realized that preschool creativity contains the seeds of and the core structures and dynamics underlying adult human genius. Also, much of what we perceive as intelligence
1: is meta-thinking
2: and social cognition, thinking about learning, emotions of others, and creativity. Roughly speaking, a being is intelligent if she can manipulate her environment, remember entities and their logical relations to each other. This requires her to perform logical calculations and inferences try actions, sometimes novel uh, combinations of actions, and receive feedback from the environment. And then adapt actions to that feedback. What's essential to being intelligent, or to a being's intelligence, is her ability to think about how she and other beings might think or feel. On the basis of that, she can think about what may affect her and others' thinking or mood. And she can come up with novel ideas. Generally, ideas come in the form of configurations of systems. To understand what configurations of systems are, you can think of a child playing with wooden blocks and making novel configurations of them. An intelligent being, in short, tries to influence configurations of systems in order to solve a problem, or just in order to have fun, as in the case of a child with the blocks, which really serves the function of learning.
0: Okay, cool, that was intelligence. Now, how about wisdom?
2: Yeah, we, we heard that intelligence is about the processes of thinking. But I think of wisdom in terms of the objectives that are being pursued by intelligent beings. I think of a wise right individual as an intelligent being whose objectives are the well-being, ecological health, and opportunities of the entire world, and who feels connected to all of the other beings in her world. The problem is that this worldview is often blocked out by intelligent but unwise beings who are pursuing narrower goals. Wisdom requires the ability to reason about ethics. Ethics has its own logical systems. I notice my use of plural. There isn't going to be one single ethical algorithm. The good news is, though, that there are already several algorithms that are worked out to function in synchrony. Amartya Sen published a paper back in 1977. Called rational fools, which gives such a critique of unwise intellectual beings for a set of thought experiments called games, typical of economic theory and game theory. In game theoretic terms, an individual could be deemed as wise if she finds, whenever possible, ways to change the structure of the game itself such that she is playing a game which is win-win, often a strong and credible signal that you believe that the game is in fact win-win, and that you will stubbornly behave as if it is so, can in fact produce a modified game that is win-win. But a stronger point, more general, is to say that in a wide system, games are never fixed, and that people can make propositions that are attractive to others to modify the game that they're jointly playing, and thus that people can jointly affect every aspect of their social and political environment in a fair, logical logically rigorous, ethically sound, and transparent way.
0: I recall well. first of all, Amartya Sen uh, papers from 1977 uh, will be uh, available in our show notes at the end of the podcast. The, t- the title of the book is Rational Fools. Correct me if I'm wrong, Johannes. But it's a paper. I'm, I'm not sure if this... Oh, okay. Oh. Sorry. It's a paper. Uh-huh. Okay. And when you mention, uh, this is a bit, you know, out of curiosity, when you mention, um, in, you know, when you explain these things in uh, game theoretic terms and the fact that uh, it has to be a win-win game, is it a close concept to, for instance, a Nash equilibrium?
2: Well, that that's sort of the theoretic outcome of the game, right? So you have, you formulate the structures of the game. Generally, they are fixed in game theory um, by some, you know, it's not, Clear who picks them, um, which in traditional economic theory and in game theory, you know, that has really a, a disempowering effect, however subtle this effect is. But the, but the Nash equilibrium is really the outcome, you know, that when you play, and, and they don't use the word intelligence, but they use the word rational, uh, which is, is really a specific model of how humans are acting or are said to act, which isn't really how humans act. But when, if they act in this way, right, then there's this, this uh, equilibrium that if everyone plays in this way, it's reached that is called the Nash equilibrium, after John Nash.
0: Right, so it's more about rational choices. Okay, got
2: it. Right, but the but structure, the important thing to remember here is that the structure in these game theoretic models is fixed. And that actually, I think, is the problem. I that, see. that has a, a disempowering effect, in essence.
0: I see, I understand. Okay, thank you. Sorry, go ahead.
2: My ideas use game theoretic concepts, among other concepts from logic, probability theory, Bayesian theory, computer science, et cetera, really from artificial intelligence, to do the exact opposite, you know, from this disempowering effect that I was talking about. To allow the collectives to clarify structures for themselves, powered by their own geniuses, to allow them to lay bare the mechanisms and structures that work, and to change and re engineer them explicitly with the aim of collective wisdom as the ultimate aim, it's a, it's a valuable in its own right an end in it itself, as Amartya Sen would say.
0: I'm glad that you mentioned logic, Bayesian theory and probability, because today there, you know, there is a lot of misunderstanding and I must say confusion about all, all this stuff. Now, what is usually summarized in, uh, in, uh, in three words most of the time as people refer to AGI or Artificial General Intelligence? So my question is, what exactly are you trying to build with your project uh, called CollectiveWise? Systems
2: for collective intelligence and collective wisdom. a unum, from, from many one. I seek to apply ideas from recent advances in artificial intelligence the particular artificial general intelligence, which entails a return, if you will, to logic, predictions, and ontology, as opposed to mere classification. Both ideas are a reasonable starting point for human-machine interaction, as well as clearer and better incentivized communication between humans. This last part is completely overlooked. and collectivized uh, is fixing that. In essence, what Ben Goertzel it's building at OpenCock Foundation uh, can, such as my hypothesis, be all crowdsourced cognitive functions. In any case, this much is clear: an, an important part of the system can definitely be crowdsourced, and that's really where we start.
0: Hmm. What, what do you exactly mean by crowdsourced?
2: By crowdsourced, I mean that it can it can be derived from an aggregate of some very specific types of expressions. There are generalizations of events in prediction markets, if you're more familiar with that concept. Yet in order to get the most of the synergy of an organization through collective-wise, people can bet with each other in a social network where it is optional to bet anonymously, like in a market, but not the only or even the default option. Note that these are not ordinary bets, but bet-like expressions of various kinds. It's quite general. These bet-like expressions are then logically combined in one comprehensive map of the organization's decision environment on each person's profile. So each person really creates such a map. All the maps are then actually combined into one collective map by the intelligence at the center, where it's important that this process is and always remains transparent. Transparency here is key. You can think of the aggregation as being akin to prediction markets. Importantly, not not to voting if that helps. A repeated interactions then in a social network network adds a lot to the experience of such a platform, you know, to the users. And also, as I suspect and I plan to rigorously test, through the quality of the aggregated opinion. Now imagine the, the whole organization becoming a multi-organism intelligence where interactions can be structured and restructured according to productivity and performance and satisfaction of the organization as a whole. Well, let's measure it using Amartya-Sense capability theory. At the center, there is an AGI, Artificial General Intelligence, or at least a becoming AGI. Right now, there is what has been achieved thus far at the center of the system. And while it isn't a full AGI, it can coordinate human communication in an adaptive way, and it can perform ongoing social science experiments autonomously. So essentially, at the center of the system is an AI, social scientists who can vary parameters and communication structures and test hypotheses which arise in the process about the impacts of various policies and various metrics of interest, which can themselves be questioned by the AI at the center or by human scientists interacting with the system. The goal is to perpetually increase the collective intelligence, no, really the, the collective wisdom, as I defined it earlier. For a simple value proposition, one could say that through what Ben Gertzler calls radical self-improvement, all risks from all collective decisions, whether it's an investment decision or something else, are perpetually reduced, while returns are increased. And thus profits across all domains are increased, well, increasingly well-optimized, really. So they're not just increased, but they're they're increasing over time, and they're getting better and better. So now i ask you, who wouldn't want that?
0: Yeah, as you put it, I mean, it's uh, absolutely great. I mean, my, I have kind of an observation regarding what you said. Like, what happens if the single peer in this crowd maliciously bets on the wrong decision uh, in order to manipulate the entire network? And, and what if, for instance, multiple peers colluding with each other, they do, they do exactly the same, so they bet on the, on the wrong decision?
2: Well, such maliciousness is costly in two ways. It costs money to the individual as the incentives are truth-telling. So this is a concept from economics, from experimental economics. It's, uh, it's a bit heavy to unpack here. Uh, but it, I can explain it by a, a simple example, with, with a simple bet. where you, where you believe, uh, say that you believe uh, a coin is fair, head and tails are equally likely. You win $1 if you buy one ticket, and if the coin comes up heads. You lose the ticket right, and get zero dollars if it comes up tail. Right. Now my question to you, how much should you be willing to pay maximally for the lottery ticket?
0: <laughs> um, I don't know, about 50 cents?
2: Right. Because if you pay more, right, so if it's, if it's a 50-50 coin, right, if you pay more, you're statistically mm-hmm. losing money. Right because uh you, you, you're winning you know one dollar with 50 percent like you know right now you win one dollar and next time you lose right? and then you win a dollar again and so over an average you will win 50 cents so you should be willing to pay 50 cents uh if the, if and only if the coin is actually fair now your beliefs about the fairness of that coin might be different you might have some suspicions that it is weighted unfairly so say say that you believe that the heads are really more likely to come up than tails. Say you believe the probability of the head is 60, like 0.6, where the probability is not the same as frequency, really, but in this case, it's like a frequency. Then you should obviously be willing to pay more, right? In any case, you always have the incentive within the game. So it's, it's in that sense, it's a bit like the stats, but there it's much more complicated. But you always have the incentive within the game to reveal your true beliefs. If you do anything else, then by your own belief, you're playing the game suboptimal. So the other way, also there, there's another way in which this game is incentivized to be anti-manipulation and true belief revealing. And that is that in time, in the medium and the long run, your reputation and your decision rate in the collective depends on how you weigh in. You, you gain power through contributing unique and useful substance to the collective belief system. The moment you do anything else, you lose power and you lose money. So,
0: going back to the definition of the crowdsourced intelligence, it seems to me, at least from how you described, but please correct me if I'm wrong, that there is still a central AI that kind of decides. Now, isn't it too risky to put too much responsibility or power into one component of this network? Uh, and, so, and another question regarding this same subject is how different this is from centralized systems of intelligence.
2: Well, so for the first question, no, the, the AI doesn't really decide. The, the cognitively enriched crowds, if you will, ask. A decision never is pushed based on the crowds. Or, or the CEO can use the judgment of a wise, wise crowd to guide for decisions. The, the AI can reason within, each, you know, with, it, it can reason with each individual, and in then it can reveal inc- inconsistencies in an individual's mental model and suggest possible improvements in the model. It can also recommend quasi-bets that make the theory more complete, you know, the individual theory, and it can help in searching for statements that have already been made by others, or counter statements, so that the new statement is really a countering of something else that has been said elsewhere. It helps eliminate redundancies, in other words, and bring the important communications together for sharper crowd assessments. In addition, it can generate its own hypothesis about how both communication work that that should take place between individuals, as well as uh, social communication structures on all scales. You can think of the network structure of communication from a global perspective, all the way down to this person should talk with that person. Um, And and, and it has, you know, it's it's a bit complicated to explain, but there's, you know, uh, it's a lot of work on, on social network structures. And and also, it can generate its own hypothesis about the decision environment Uh, that makes logical sense to us, but that no human member has yet directly asked. It can, in essence, do a lot of additional reflection and reasoning that is in feedback loops with the human reflection, and that amplifies and enriches the discussion that is going on between the humans. It acts as a lubricating system for the collective mind of which all members are a part. It is, in essence, not simply separable from the humans in the system as a linear addition or some aggregation mechanism of human belief, but it facilitates and improves the reflection processes themselves. So it has nonlinear feedback loops with the collective thinking of the individuals in the system. This can then create an ever and ever more intelligent and even wise collective. And the idea is that the feedback loops are important in bringing on a sort of collective singularity a runaway process of ever-increasing intelligence and wisdom.
0: So if you want to squeeze all these concepts in you know, in a, <laughs> a brutally a brief uh, summary, uh, what is the main goal or the motivation behind what you are building?
2: My motivation is sustainable development. I mean, what that means to me, in fact, is collective wisdom, so I'm, I'm changing one word for another. It's a bit unfair, but I'll like, unpack that in a second. All failures related to the environment, politics, economics, culture, and society are in, a- in essence failures of collective wisdom.
0: Okay, so let's assume we had collective-wise uh, platform ready tomorrow. What would change in each of the aforementioned domains?
2: Well, let's look at some examples of possible collective decisions within one visceral scenario to get more of an idea about what I'm, what I'm talking about. Last year, as you may be aware, Hurricane Ophelia hit Ireland, and it's considered to be the worst storm to affect Ireland in 50 years. Now, there are several things to note about this. One, what does that mean that it was the worst? What is the quantification of bad after the fact? Two, did people see this coming? Were there insurance companies that insured homeowners or business owners against hurricanes in Ireland? If not... Could there be a profitable insurance company that could, in essence, buy the risks from more risk-averse, less liquid people and businesses that would be ruined if they aren't insured? And if Ophelia hit them. Also, how were losses distributed in various spaces? The geographic space, for instance, and the socioeconomic space. Or were there specific professions or people from specific backgrounds affected in different proportions? And if so, why? What are the sources of unequal risk exposure? And are they correlated with additional risks these people may have? These are all questions that potentially interlinked in various obvious or less obvious ways that organizations such as insurance companies or minus the profit mode governments also tasked with providing social insurance services must ask. Of course, any business that collectively decides where to build an office building must ask related questions about each location that they're concerned. If they use collectivize, making such decisions wisely can be learned effectively. I.e., e. collectivised can help businesses locate themselves in space better and better, such that its exposures and its employees' exposures to disaster-related costs are minimized jointly with the maximization of its exposure to talent, related industries, and related knowledge, et Note that this scenario has a quite obvious bearing on both politics and economics, but uh, less obvious, are the cultural and social, societal implications of this scenario. But they become clear if we transfer the same scenario to the U.S., take Texas, Florida, New Orleans, or Puerto Rico, and we concentrate the collective life on who is affected by hurricanes, as well as the response by government, the press, and other organizations. In the US, environmental disasters are always fodder for the culture wars, and, and things can get quite ugly there. To clarify how this happens, in other words, to effectively hold people accountable for their crimes, to be frank, and to understand all of the associated cultural effects, cultural organizations or think tanks can employ collectively to collectively make sense of the culture wars and bring more wisdom and process understanding to the collective at, at large. We'd be happy to serve them at no cost. For example, like for, for example, like the the Southern Poverty Law Center could use collectivized for free. Collectivized effectively enables crowdsourced, scientific, and credibly unbiased journalism in that letter sense.
1: The, the mechanisms
2: of prediction markets, and, and thus the mechanisms of generalized prediction networks, are truth revealing. That's a term you know I, I alluded to earlier from experimental economics, which really amounts to the phrase put your money where your mouth is. And in essence, it amounts to people being incentivized to reveal their true individual beliefs about what events come next, effects resulting from actions, and how events are causally and logically related to each other, for instance. Further, for end results, the system can use the brilliance of the collective and its synergy to negotiate continuously improving metrics about what it is that the organization wants to achieve in the first place, you know, and and therefore, what needs to be measured. And there, you know, the theory of Professor Senn is to me operationalized as part of the system. Individuals can then be incentivized by aligning the motives of the collective, in the case of the intelligent, a profit-maximizing collective, or the motives of all those who are possibly affected. In case of the wise collective, directly with the individual member's private motives, but much more to help people to truly internalize the best for all is in truth always the best for each. Here is important to avoid basically what Sam Bowles warned us of in his book *The Moral Economy*: why good incentives are no substitute for good citizens. And what we are ultimately after is to create good citizens for a wise collective in a playful and reflective way. I think that the hurricane scenario is a sufficiently rich model scenario that makes this all more understandable when you, when you keep it in front of your eyes. One of my professors and mentors at Columbia, Marcellus Andrews, brought the picture of Katrina, the hurricane that hit New Orleans, to my eyes as an important illustrative example of collective failure that involves really all dimensions of what one thinks of when hearing the term sustainable development. Professor Andrews wrote a remarkable book, if you want to know more, called the Political Economy of Hope and Fear, Capitalism and the Black Condition in America. Now, this really isn't just relevant to African Americans or even just to Americans, but it's a work that, in my opinion, is relevant to all humans.
0: This was part one of the episode. In the next part, I'm going to ask you, Annas about the more practical aspects of his project, collective-wise. Stay tuned! This episode is supported by Cryptpad, the secure collaboration platform to edit your documents with colleagues and friends without compromising your privacy. No document can be read by the cloud or the NSA, not even Cryptpad themselves. You can try it for free. For more, visit Cryptpad.fr. C-R-Y-P-T-P-A-D. Fr.
1: Imagine an organization that wants to unlock the value of their data, but their data is too sensitive. Imagine a data scientist who wants to work on very rare data, but she cannot access them. With FitChain, organizations and individuals can unlock the value of their data instantly, connecting them to data scientists who have an incentive to work on a solution. No confidential information will ever leave the organization, which, thanks to FitChain, can keep their industrial secrets while enjoying the endless benefits of machine learning. But wait, there's more! Data owners can monetize their data Data scientists can monetize their models With a team of experts in AI and blockchain technology, FitChain allows highly regulated environments from domains like healthcare, research and development, and banking to take advantage of machine learning without compromising the thing we value most, confidentiality. Visit fitchain.io and unlock the value of your data.
0: This was Data Science at Home, the podcast that makes machine learning and artificial intelligence easy for everyone. If you like the show, don't forget to write a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or Podbean. You can also find us on datascienceathome.com where you can subscribe to our newsletter and get the latest updates. Thanks for listening. Hey, are you still there? Well, let me tell you about the newsletter of Data Science at Home. It's my free digest of the best content in artificial intelligence, data science, predictive analytics, and computer science. Subscribe now, datascienceatome.com.